Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we are going to play a show from our archives that was first broadcast back on the 13th of April in 2015. Hope you enjoy. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. you doing? Happy tax day to you. Everybody out there file their taxes already? Bob Bro here. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the radio show where we do nothing but old-time radio shows that we remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. But everybody's welcome to come along. We're going to play some shows that we've played in the past. I have gone through a number of my older shows and picked Four shows that I really like a lot. So what you're going to be hearing tonight are those shows and the comments that I made when we played them the first time around. So if anything sounds a little disjointed tonight, that's uh, that's the reason why. But we've got four great shows. We've got an episode of Fort Laramie. We have an episode of Frontier Gentlemen. Of course, we're going to visit uh, Matt Dillon and the gang on Gunsmoke, and we're also going to Go to the Academy Awards with Jack Benny on the Jack Benny Show. Glad to have you aboard, and we're going to get started in just a moment.
Let Bacchus' sons not be dismayed, but join with me at Shobio Blade. Come drink and sing, and lend your aid to help me with the chorus. And instead of spa, we'll drink brown ale, we'll pay the reckoning on the nail. For death no man should go to jail from Gary Owen in glory. Now we have coming up an episode of Fort Laramie, and I'm just going to read a little bit about Fort Laramie, or sort of paraphrase here, from one of John Dunning's works. Fort Laramie was brought to CBS on January 22, 1956, by Norm MacDonald, who had four years of Gunsmoke experience behind him. But Fort Laramie was much lower key than Gunsmoke, built around situations that were far less tense. McDonald intended Fort Laramie to be a monument to ordinary men who lived in extraordinary times. Their enemies were the rugged, uncharted country, the heat, the cold, disease, boredom, and perhaps last of all, hostile Indians. Men died at Fort Laramie, some of drowning, some of freezing, others of typhoid and smallpox. But it's a matter of record that in all the years the cavalry was stationed at Fort Laramie, only four troopers died of gunshot wounds. This, then, is what the show was about. Everyday life on the Wyoming frontier. It wasn't Gunsmoke, to be sure, but then few shows were. McDonald told the story of Captain Lee Quince and the men who served him. Quince was well played by Raymond Burr. Vic Perrin was Sergeant Gorse. Harry Bartell was Lieutenant Seibertz. And Jack Moyles was Major Daggett. Music was by Amerigo Moreno. Sound effects were by those Gunsmoke perfectionists Ray Kemper, Bill James, and Tom Hanley. And this was another one of the solid shows that came along after taps had already been blown for radio. I just might add to that that um, the episode we're going to hear tonight was written by John Meston, who, of course, was the uh, chief writer and editor for Gunsmoke. John Meston was raised in uh, Colorado near the Four Corners, And so he had a rich heritage of hearing stories about Western lore and also a lot about the Native American tribes that lived in that area and knew a lot about their customs. And he incorporated these in many of his scripts in both Gunsmoke and, as you're going to see tonight, in Fort Laramie. And Meston always strove to be extremely accurate, historically speaking. So I think you're going to enjoy this one tonight. This episode originally aired... On February the 19th, 1956, as I mentioned earlier, this was a John Meston script. You just heard uh, who the feature players were. So I think you're going to enjoy this one. This one is entitled Boredom. Here it comes. That's the gallop! Raymond Burr as Captain Lee Quince. Specially transcribed tales of the dark and tragic ground of the wild frontier. The saga of fighting men who rode the rim of empire 
and the dramatic story of Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry. I said, Eddie, what's the cavalry going to do to win glory today, Sergeant? I'm glad you spoke up, Suthy. You and Private Plover there have just volunteered to make mud bricks for the new powder magazine building. No, no, Sergeant. Me and Plover worked in that adobe all day yesterday. Another month, you ought to be finished. I didn't join this army to make mud bricks. You refusing an order, Suthy? Put your shoes on, Plover. Let's get going. Now, the rest of you men will finish cleaning this barracks and fall out in ten minutes. I suppose you're taking them buffalo hunting, Each Sergeant. man will go to supply and get a pick or a shovel. We're building road today. Building a road. That's enough. I said ten minutes. You line up smiling and happy or I'll work you all night. You got your shoes on, Plover? Well, sure. What do I need shoes for? I'll be on my hands and knees most of the time. Ain't it a shame, men like us doing that kind of work? Yeah. I'm ready, Suthy. Then let's go. Ten minutes, soldiers, and don't forget them shovels. (laughs) I reckon any outfit's got to do some time in garrison, Suthy. We've been in garrison three months. Got me talking to myself. Well, leastwise, we ain't getting shot at by no wild Indians. What's the cavalry fur if it ain't to get shot at and to do a little shooting itself? All the Indians around here is peaceable. Leastwise, there has been the last few months. <laughs> Reservation Indians. Them shine ought to be ashamed of themselves. Sitting around watching the women do the work, waiting to be fed by the government. Where's the gumption, anyway? Well... Good thing they is peaceable, I think. Them engines go on a tear makes it bad for everybody. They go on a tear to get us out of the garrison. Well, they ain't going, so you just might as well face up to them. I could make them go, Clover. Oh, now, stop that talk. I told you how I could make them go. Now, looky here, Suthy. I ain't even gonna listen to you. Why, you could be shot for just what you're thinking. Nobody'd ever know. You know you're crazy. Being stuck here in a fort so long has driven you plumb crazy. Your mouth's getting awful big, Clover. Oh, now, don't get on the prod. Look here, I'll tell you what. Tonight, you and me going to sneak off the post, and we'll go into town and have us a drink of that gal you like. <laughs> that Ella Braden. <laughs> How about that, Sid? Never you mind, Ella Braden. You called me crazy. Oh, I didn't mean nothing by I it. ain't crazy, and I'll prove it to you. You put that knife away, Suthy. You got a knife. Get it out. No. Get it out, I said. I'm going to cut you, Clover. I'll do it. All right, that's how you want it. Now, there's my knife. Now, you cut me, Suthy. Come on, now, cut me. I'll lay your whole face open, soldier. Hold it, you man. Lieutenant Cybert, you don't mean nothing to me. Captain Quits with him, Sooty. Watch your face! Oh, rip your belly open, you try that again! Stop that, man. 
Put those knives away. It's a fair fight. You got no right to stop Do me. as I say, Suthie. You cut me, I'll put mine away. I can't quit less than he does. All right, Susie. You too, Plover. I know you're on edge being in garrison so long, but that's part of soldiering. And so is keeping your temper. Now put those knives away before we all get in trouble. Well, there's mine. All right, you here to captain, Sothie. There's mine. You men on detail? Making mud pies again, Captain. Then get to it. If there's any more fighting, you'll go to the guardhouse. That clear? Yes, sir. Move yes, out. Sir. Those men are crazy enough to have stuck you, Captain, getting between them that way. One of them might have stuck me, Mr. Seibert's, not both of them. They need action, Captain. They're soldiers, not laborers. Yeah, they're even forgetting to think like soldiers. There's going to be more trouble like this, Mr. Seibert's. A lot more. Captain Quince reporting, sir. At ease, Captain. Well, how's B Company getting along? Well, Major Daggett, I guess B Company's getting along about the way you'd expect. Like those two men of yours last week who were going at each other with knives? I didn't know you'd heard about that, Major. I heard about it. I also heard how you failed to punish him. With all due respect, sir, it's my company. And you know I never interfere on a company level. I'd transfer out of here if you did. Well, I'm sure you would. Oh, it isn't easy, is it, Lee? <laughs> uh, much more of this. I'll be looking for a good fight myself. Enforced inactivity. The bane of the cavalry. That and the salt pork diet. Two more of my men came down with scurvy today, Major. That's what I wanted to see you about, Lee. Oh? Uh-huh. How'd you like to go on a buffalo hunt? Buffalo hunt? I thought we couldn't yeah, go I know, out. I know. General orders are to avoid antagonizing the Indians by hunting buffalo in their territory. We're sitting right in the middle of their territory. Twenty-two cases of scurvy are enough. Higher orders are to hold Fort Laramie with a full complement of cavalry. Captain Quince, you think you can bring in some fresh meat without starting a new Indian war? I can try, sir. I'm dependent on you. Yes, sir. You'll take 15 men, two wagons, and six mules. You'll leave one half hour after Reveille tomorrow morning. You'll return Saturday by sundown without fail, exactly one week from today. Any questions? No, sir. I hope you'll see fit to include those two men, Suthi and Plover, in your party. I intend to, sir, as Skinner's. <laughs> and move out. <laughs> Soothy, how you feel? Not so good, Clover. I'm bleeding again. Or most to the fort. Here, see the man? They're standing right waiting on us. That's what the captain said. Saturday by sundown, we made it. Yeah, some of us made it. Eight of us. Eight out of fifteen. Seven men killed. We done all right. Uh, that can show. Hey, looky, there's Major Daggett. He's waiting, too, you see him? No. I can't see so good, Clover. My head hurts bad. Everything's kind of swimmy. You ain't gonna pass out now, are you? The way you got me roped onto this saddle wouldn't matter none if I did pass out. 
The other boys hurt worse than you. I ain't complaining. The bench up ahead there, he passed out. Got him tied belly down across his saddle. Then I reckon he's dead. We're here, Suthie. We're back. I can't see nothing but the fort. Oh, my head hurts off. Control, hold! Corporal Mercer, you'll remain with the wounded. They'll stay mounted. Sergeant Gorse, get a detail from the garrison to help these men down and get them to the hospital. Sir? Rest of you stable the horses. Control dismissed. Uh, Mr. Cybert! Yes, sir. Would you take my horse to the stable for me? Certainly, Captain. I'd better report to the Major there. Yes, sir. If you'd care to, uh, come by my quarters later. I'll, I'll find us a drink. Thank you, sir. Captain Quint's reporting, sir. You're not hurt, Lee. No, sir. What? What happened? Cheyenne. Over a hundred braves hit us. Dawn two days ago. I had a guard posted, but they rode right over them. Seven troopers killed in battle. Another died in his saddle about noon today. Wagons, mules lost. I sent a scout looking for you. They never found us. What is it, Major? Cheyenne jumped the reservation? Yeah. Nobody knows why. They slipped out in the middle of the night and disappeared. I can't figure it. Big Wolf's been as peaceful a chief as I've known. Big Wolf's young son died a couple of weeks ago. Maybe that got him started. I think... I think I'll ride out to the reservation tomorrow. Take a look around. What for? No particular reason, Major. Just curious. Captain, I don't think them Cheyenne left a single thing out here. Well, they sure stripped the place, Gorse. I guess when you ain't got much, you don't leave nothing behind at all. Oh. Captain, all them poles over there with the burying platforms on them. Uh, what about them? They're all new, Captain. I mean, they're empty. There's no corpses laying on them. Can't be new. They must have taken their dead with them, Sergeant. I don't understand it. That ain't like them. Why would they do that? We're in quite a hurry. What do you mean? Look at that grave over there. It's half torn down. Yeah. Kind of spooky out here, ain't it? Yeah. Well, we'll stop in town on the way back, Sergeant. Now you're making this detail worthwhile, Captain. Yeah, I got some business at the post office. Post office? But I'll meet you at the saloon when I'm through. I'll be there, Captain. You can depend on me. Money, but, well, soldiering's an honorable profession. It's better than being a thief, isn't it? I, uh, I hope I'm not intruding, Sergeant Gorse. Captain? Uh, Captain Quince, this here's Ella Braden. How do you do, Ella? Pleased to meet you, Captain. Won't you sit down? Oh, thanks. I've been trying to explain to Ella that soldiers are just as good as civilians. I never said they weren't, Sergeant. Sergeant Gorse has been in the cavalry 20 years, Ella. He's still trying to figure out why. <laughs> I think you're right, Captain. It's all he talks about. Now, that ain't so. I mean, when you're being a gentleman, Sergeant. Oh. 
<laughs> you know what he did a couple of weeks ago, Captain? Now, Ella. What'd he do, Ella? Well, he... <laughs> nah. Nah, I'm too much of a lady to say it. Thank goodness for that, anyway. Ella, if Gorse gets out of line, just you whack him with a bottle. It's the only kind of language he understands sometimes. Oh, I got something better to whack him with, Captain. It's carved from solid bone. What? Yeah, I got it in this sack. Brought it in to show to the barkeep. Now, what in the world is that, Ella? Let me see that. It's an Indian souvenir of some kind. Where'd you get this, Ella? A kid at the fort gave it to me. He found it somewhere, I guess. Who gave it to you? His name is Suthi. Suthi. Well, what's wrong, Captain? This is a Cheyenne totem, Ella. I'm uh, going to have to keep it. Oh, here, now that's mine. You give it back. Sorry, Ella. You'll have to find another souvenir. This one's caused enough trouble. <laughs> Morning, Captain Quince. Lieutenant Mather, I want to see Private Suthi. Where's his bed? Uh, at the far end, Captain. There, where Sergeant Gorse is. Thank you. Captain? Gorse? Hello, Suthi. Oh, Captain Quince. How are you, sir? How are you feeling, Suthi? Oh, pretty good, Captain. Except for my head aching all the time. You'll get over it. I better. I can't stand it this way, sir. I wish they'd killed me if I got to go on like this. Suthie, you seen this before? I don't know, Captain. What is it? You know what it is. Where'd you get it? I can't help you, Captain. I'm sorry. Maybe later sometime. Now, look here, Suthie. You know I won't take an answer like Captain that. Captain Quince. What is it, Sergeant? Would you step over here a minute, sir? All right. What do you want? Oh, my head. I wish you'd stop aching. Oh, Oh, I see. All right, Sergeant. Aches all the time. Well, Suthie, I won't bother you anymore. I know all I need to anyway. I don't know what you're talking about, Captain. I ought to hate you, Suthie. But I only feel sorry for you. What you've done, I'm going to try to set right. But whether I can or not, you're going to have to live with it the rest of your life. I think I'm speaking for a lot of good men who died because of you. Sergeant? Yes, sir? I'll meet you at the main gate in half an hour. Have our horses saddled and packed with two days' rations. Move out. I find this hard to believe, Captain. Major Daggett, I... I've always tried to think of every trooper in my company as a real soldier. Somehow it makes me feel less of one myself when I find out about a man like Private Suthi. I can understand that, Captain Quince. I sympathize with you. Yes, sir. But what you propose to do about it is nothing short of suicide. I can't allow that. I'm meeting Sergeant Gorse at the main gate in a few minutes, Major. I'm volunteering for this mission. If he goes with me, he'll have to volunteer, too. Big Wolf and his Cheyenne are a mission for the entire 2nd Cavalry, Captain. Not for two men only. It was me those Cheyenne warriors hit, Major. It was my men I watched die. 
This mission belongs to B Company. To me. Not to the Second Cavalry. You're putting a terrible responsibility on me, Captain Quince. As a volunteer? I don't see how, Major. All right, go ahead. Thank you, sir. Ali. Yes, sir? I'll give you one order. You're to return to Fort Laramie within two weeks. Without fail. More coffee, Gorse? I could sure use it. It's hot. I can see that. Thanks, Captain. Uh, this is better than garrison, isn't it, Sergeant? Oh, it sure is. Night's full of stars. We had a good dinner of pork and chickpeas. Coffee's hot. There's plenty of it. Got a big fire going here, lots of wood. There's nothing wrong with this, Captain. Except for one little thing, maybe. What's that, Sergeant? Oh, it's hardly worth mentioning. Oh, go ahead. Speak up. Well, from all the sign we've seen today, I'd guess we're smack in the middle of about four Cheyenne war parties. No, I uh, think you're right, Sergeant. Of course, I don't know for sure, but with this bonfire we got going, I got a sneaky idea them engines just might catch on to our being here sooner or later. They might. Sorry you came along, Sergeant. I volunteered. Interest in mission, you say? Yeah. I also said we we might get killed, didn't I? You didn't say how. I don't know how, Sergeant. I bet I could tell you. Not interested. If we get killed, this mission will be a failure. Now, say I hadn't thought of that. Now, that'd be a doggone shame, wouldn't it, Captain? It would. I can just see all them generals back in Washington sitting around a big shiny table saying that darn fool captain, that darn fool sergeant couldn't accomplish a simple little old mission. What's the cavalry coming to? That's what they'll be saying. <laughs> uh, throw some wood on the fire, Gorse. You're closest. Sure. Captain Quince? Yeah? They're here. All around us. Step back to the fire, real slow. If they can see anything at all, they, they can see we ain't armed. They wouldn't show themselves this close if they didn't know that. They're coming in, Captain. Stand steady, Sergeant. No sudden movements. It's sure some fine way for the cavalry to go engine hunting. We found them, didn't we? What happens now? That's not entirely up to us, Sergeant. Easy now. Sure. Zilaho di nayi. Di alo zilo. Diish layinya. He aise uva rio onzo. What's he saying? He says he'll take us to Big Wolf, all right. He says the chief wouldn't want to miss the torture before they kill us. You, uh, you wake, Gorse? 
Who could do any sleeping tied up like this? It'll be dawn soon. I just ain't looking forward to it today, Kip. At least we'll get out of this teepee. You know, this is the first time I was ever inside one. I ain't missed a thing. Oh, I don't know. A teepee can be pretty nice when you got a fire going and a buffalo robe to wrap up in. Maybe some antelope steak for breakfast, a jug of spring water, maybe a woman to do all the work. Oh, you're spoiled, Gorse. Rotten spoiled. Well, it ain't the frontier life did it, Captain, I can tell you that. Never should have left home. He says they're ready for us, Sergeant. What was that? Big Wolf hasn't returned. They've decided not to wait for him. But, Captain... It was our only chance I could have talked to Big Wolf. Not these other warriors, not even worth trying. He's going to cut us loose. Why not? With a half hundred braves out there, we ain't going no place. They can tie a man up awful tight. I ain't even sure I can walk. Well, let's go, Sergeant. Sure. Sergeant, what is it? Big Wolf? He's back. Thank heaven for that. Well, it's a chance, at least. There he is. Say, he looks like a chief, don't he? Yeah, he does. Captain Quince. Hello, Big Wolf. My people are ready for your death. I know. We allowed ourselves to be captured, Big Wolf. This I do not understand. I wanted to see you. I wanted to bring you something. White soldier has brought shame and dishonor to my people and to me. You're speaking of your son's grave. White soldier come at night, left my son's body on ground. Yes. And he stole this from your son's grave. The totem, totem of my clan. The white soldier did this to dishonor you, Big Wolf. Cheyenne, recover honor in war and by killing you. Let me say something first, Big Wolf. It was neither of us did this thing. It was a soldier who was weak and foolish and bad. This soldier has dishonored me as well as you. We do not want war with your people. Who is soldier? His name is Suthi. Give him to me. No, I can't do that. Then you must die. You have already killed eight soldiers, Big Wolf. Soon many soldiers will come. More soldiers than you have braves. Give me Suthi. So you can punish him? He must be punished. He must die. Big Wolf, when you wake in the morning and step outside your lodge, what do you see? Tell me. I see the sun on the land, morning shadows, bright mountains. And if you could not see all this? It would not be good. The white soldier, Suthi, has already been punished, Big Wolf. By you, it is not enough. No, not by me. By your warriors in the fight. 
He is blind, Big Wolf. Blind? Blind for the rest of his life. His punishment will never stop. You are brave men to come here with the totem. There must be no war between our people. The thing is done. Seven of my warriors died in fight. It is enough. We ride back in peace? Yes. Then we've won, Big Wolf. We've both won. Fort Laramie is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and stars Raymond Burr as Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry, with Vic Perrin as Sergeant Gorse. The script was specially written for Fort Laramie by John Meston, with sound patterns by Bill James and Ray Kemper. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Featured in the cast were Sam Edwards, Harry Bartell, Jack Moyles, Jack Crucian, Howard Culver, and Vivi Janis. Company tension. Dismiss. Next week, another transcribed story of the Northwest Frontier and the troopers who fought under Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry. Time to fight heart disease is now, before another victim is hurt. Obviously, heart researchers may not find the cures and preventatives to all heart ailments the moment you contribute to the heart fund. But the sooner you do your part, the closer they'll come to answering the mysteries of the heart. Send your contributions to Heart, care of your local postmaster. That's Heart, H-E-A-R-T, Heart, care of your local postmaster. Fort Laramie, as first heard on February 10th, 1956, at least that episode was, and the name of that episode was Boredom. Um, interesting, Raymond Burr, that same year, was in the film Godzilla. <laughs> now, 
1956, I was nine years old, actually eight years old. I, I turned nine in December, and I loved monster movies like most young boys did at that age in that era. But even I was not very impressed with Godzilla. But it's interesting uh, that uh, Raymond Burr played that role just for the American audience. They actually edited in the scenes of him in Godzilla so that the uh, movie would have an appeal in America because it had an American star. Was he a star? Well, he had had, I don't know, hundreds is probably strong. His first movie credit, I believe, was in 1945 or 46. So he had been in the movies for 10 years, but a lot of the roles he had were uncredited and others were small roles. But he really had a breakthrough role in 1954 in Rear Window with uh, Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly, the Alfred Hitchcock film. Oh, remember the scene where Grace Kelly is actually in his apartment and Jimmy Stewart is in the building across the way looking at her through his rear window. And he sees Raymond Burr, who played the villain in this film, coming up the stairs to enter into his apartment. And he can't say anything to Grace Kelly. That was certainly before cell phones. And he's trying to wave and signal to her. Of course, he's in a wheelchair. Oh, what a scene. What a great scene. So that was the big breakthrough role for Raymond Burr. And it caused him some problems because he had normally played a heavy. But he had such a great voice. And he had done quite a bit of radio. That movie, Rear Window, is sort of his breakthrough role. In 1956, he did Godzilla. That's the same year he did Fort Laramie on the radio, but it was one year later. In an episode of a show, the title of the episode was The Case of the Restless Redhead that would actually send Raymond Burr to big stardom. And that, of course, was his premiere episode of the show Perry Mason. And that was in September of 1957. Then after that, he went on to one or two other TV series, Ironside and others, and of course, just became a big, big star. Just a Hollywood icon, really. All right. You in the mood for some comedy? Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no Coming up now, we have an episode of the Jack Benny Show. This one originally aired on March the 23rd, the same year, 1952. And in it, Jack takes Mary to the Academy Awards. And it's a funny episode. It's got one of my favorite bits in it, uh, which is uh, the Sheldon Leonard character. Psst, hey, you, hey, buddy. <laughs> I love that bit. Um, just a little background. That year, the uh, Academy Awards, of course, were celebrating the films of 1951. American in Paris with Gene Kelly won that year for Best Picture. I'm not crazy about that film, but... I guess the reason it won is at least it was cheery. My goodness, listen to the movies it was up against. Quo Vadis, which of course was about Nero persecuting Christians. A film entitled Decision Before Dawn, which was about German prisoners of war in World War II. 
A Place in the Sun, a famous film, uh, George Stevens' film, uh, Montgomery Cliff murders his fiancée, Shelley Winters, in order to be with Liz Taylor, and ends up on death row. A Streetcar Named Desire, the Tennessee Williams play. Uh, you recall that Blanche Dubois is disturbed. She goes to live with her sister in New Orleans, and she's tormented by this brutish brother-in-law of hers, and finally just loses all touch with reality. Those were the films that were up for Best Picture that year. Another big film that year was uh, Death of a Salesman, a cheery, cheery uh, little bit about a salesman that can't close the sale anymore and is is losing it, uh, losing touch with his family. Uh, no wonder they, they voted for uh, an American in Paris Best Picture that year. Well, we're going to hear all about it coming up on the Jack Benny Show. By the way, one other side note. Uh, you'll hear the mention of Baron Leone in here. Does anyone remember Baron Leone? He was a professional wrestler that was well-known on television in 1952. Here we come, Jack Benny. <laughs> With Barry Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's go out to Jack Benny's house in Beverly Hills. At the moment, our little star is shaving. Hmm. My beard feels kind of tough this morning. I wish this was April 1st, so I'd put in a new blade. <laughs> hmm. I wonder I wonder how I would look with sideburns. Charles Boyer has sideburns. I can just see myself taking a beautiful girl in my arms and saying, like Boyer, eh, my darling, come with me to the cash drawer. I mean... <laughs> Maybe I ought to just shave and forget it. Hey, that must be Mary. I don't know why I want sideburns anyway. That fellow on television who calls himself the Continental, he doesn't have them. Boy, is he romantic. That's the type I am. The Continental. Do not be afraid, darling. It is only a man's apartment. Jackson, open up your baby blues. Oh, it's you, Phil. Oh, say, Phil, who am I imitating? Well, do it again. Do not be afraid, darling. It is only a man's apartment. Barry Leone. <laughs> all right, all right. Look, Phil, I'm in the midst of shaving, so if you want to talk to me, come in the bathroom. Okay, where's Rochester? He went to the market. Hey, Phil, what are you doing here so early, anyway? Alice threw me out of the house. Again? It wasn't my fault this time, Jackson. You see, Just I... a minute, Phil. Wait a minute. Where's my razor? Oh, here it is. Phil, why did Alice throw you out of the house? Oh, I don't know. They were having a parent-teacher's meeting. You know, all the mothers and teachers were there, and they were deciding to make some sort of an outing for the kids in the third grade. They they call it a, a nature study. Oh, yes, that's one of those hikes up in the hills. Well, they should have told me. Why? When they said they wanted to study nature, I suggested the Burbank Theater. <laughs> a burlesque show? Well, I don't blame her for throwing you out of the house. Yeah, I don't know why I always... Well, I wish you wouldn't stand behind me while I'm shaving. Why? Every time I see the reflection of your eyes in the mirror, I think I cut myself. (laughs) Okay, I'll move, I'll move. Oh, there's somebody at the door. Oh, I'll get it, Jackson. Oh, hello, Phil. Do not be afraid, darling. 
It's only a man's apartment. What is that? I don't know. That's the way they answer the door around here. <laughs> hey, come on in, Livy. Jackson will be through in a minute. He's shaving. Hey, look at you. That's a cute little dress you're wearing. Well, I'm glad you like it, Phil. I knitted it myself. It sure fits you beautiful. The way it shows off your figure. I mean, it... Playing so snug around the hips and, and... Hey, wait a minute. You said you made that dress. How come there's a price tag on it? I put that on myself. I wanted something for Jack to notice, too. Oh. <laughs> Phil, what are you doing over here so early? Well, they were having a parent-teacher's meeting over at the house. And, and Alice threw you out. How'd you know? I took a wild guess. Well, I'm all through with my shave and... Oh, hello, Mary. Where did you get that $45 dress? <laughs> you see, Phil, I told you. Told him what? Nothing, nothing. Hey, Jackson, that's a new suit you're wearing, ain't it? Yep, and I got a bargain, too. You know, walk up one flight and save $10. Where'd you buy that one? On top of old Smokey? <laughs> well, for a fellow who was thrown out of the house this morning, you're certainly... Hello? Hello, is this Jack Benny? Yes. Uh, well, Mr. Benny, my wife and I are having a big argument, and you can help us settle it. <laughs> Me? Uh, we, we bought a copy of Look Magazine, and your picture's on the cover. That's right. How old are you? 39. 39? Yes. You win, Mabel. Them wrinkles must be in the paper. <laughs> Was it, Jack? I don't know. Since I had my picture on, look, I've gotten a lot of phone calls. Yeah, and I know what you go through, Jackson. You're not the only one who's had his picture on the cover of a magazine. Well, Phil, I've never seen your picture on a cover. Neither have I. Well, that's because you kids don't subscribe to the monthly manual of the Amalgamated Society of the City Planning and Construction Engineers. Uh, Phil, Phil, your picture's on the cover of the monthly manual of the Amalgamated Society of City Planning and Construction Engineers? Yeah, and I got a copy of it right here in my pocket. I'll show it to you. See? Phil, that's a picture of the new freeway. <laughs> yeah, but look who's laying against the curb. <laughs> well, Phil, if that's you, this picture certainly has an appropriate caption. Landmarks of Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Now, anybody can brag. Here I am, boss. Back from the market. Oh, good, good. Hello, Rochester. Hello, Miss Livingston. Mr. Harris. Hi, Chester. Say, boss, before I put all these canned goods in the pantry, do you want to check off the list? Yes, Rochester. I'll check them off as, as you put them on the table. Okay. Two large cans of. Two large cans of. Two small cans of. Two small cans of. Three medium cans of. Three medium cans of. Four large cans of. Four large cans of. Wait a minute. What kind of checking off is that? Two large cans of. Three small cans of. Cans of what? We don't know. When the labels are torn off, you get them cheaper. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. Imagine buying canned goods without labels on them. When we sit down to dinner, it's like a mystery program. <laughs> Who done it? No, what's in it? <laughs> Rochester. One night we had drain over dessert. <laughs> well, 
Now I've heard everything. Imagine buying canned goods without labels on them. Isn't that silly, Phil? I wouldn't know. I'm a bottle man myself. Rochester, <laughs> just put the things away. Okay, boss. And I bought you a new pair of woolen mittens like you asked for. Woolen mittens? What's that for, Jackson? Well, as soon as I get a chance, I'm going up to Big Bear to do some more skiing. You know, Mary went up with me a few weeks ago. Well, Jackson, I didn't know you could ski. Are you kidding? I've been skiing for years. Of course, I haven't got perfect form, you know. In fact, the last time I came down the slide, took off and sailed through the air, I, I did flap my arms a little too much. A little too much? A duck hunter took a shot at you. <laughs> duck hunter, duck hunter. <laughs> You'd still be out there for your retriever hadn't brought you back. Oh, don't be so smart. If we go up in the snow again next week, I'll show you how good the... Come in! Well, Don, Dennis, come on in. Go ahead, Dennis. You go first. Oh, no, no, Don. You go first. Oh, you go first, Dennis. No, no, Don. I'd rather you go first. Look, fellas. Dennis, please go first. No, Don. I insist that you go first. Oh, for heaven's sake, what's the matter with you guys? Why are you so polite to each other? We both have two shows. <laughs> That's the silliest thing I ever heard. Now, come on in. Boy, does that outfit bring out the curves, the way it clings around the hips. Oh, you noticed it too, eh, Dennis? Yeah, Mr. Benny's wearing a new suit. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I got a nice surprise for you. A surprise? Yes, next week Mary and I may go skiing up in Big Bear, and if you're a good boy, we'll take you with us. That's right, Dennis. Gee, up in the snow? Yeah. Have you ever been up to Big Bear, kid? Oh, I haven't, but a few weeks ago, my mother went up there on a hunting trip. Did she get anything? No, but she took a shot at a blue-eyed duck. <laughs> oh, she did, eh? Yeah, and she couldn't understand it. Her retriever came back with a toupee. Dennis, that duck your mother thought she was shooting at was me. Oh. <laughs> Well, Jack, you'd like an Academy Award commercial because you were there Thursday night. Well, what's that got to do with it? Of course I was there, and I took Mary with me. Yes, but it's the last time I'll ever go with you. What? Why, Mary? What happened? Well... Mary. Quiet, Jack. I'm going to tell him. Well, Don, last Thursday evening, Jack picked me up at my house. We drove down to Hollywood, parked the car, and we were walking to the... You know, Mary, I should have had Rochester drop us off at the theater before we parked the car. Oh, it's only a short walk, Jack, and besides, I want to talk to you. What about? Well, you've been taking me to the Academy Awards for many years now, and tonight, when you go up to congratulate the winning actor, do me a favor. What? Just shake his hand. Don't say, lucky for you, I didn't make a picture this year. <laughs> When did I ever say that? You started with William S. Hart. <laughs> I did not. Say, Jack, I want to step into this drugstore and get some cough drops. Have we got time? Oh, sure. Well, let's see. Where's the drug counter? Right over there. Don't hurry, Mary. We have plenty of time. Hiya, bud. Long time no see. Huh? Oh, hello. Come on, Mary. Uh, Jack, wasn't yes, that... Yes, that tout from Santa Anita. I always run into him. Say, Mary, they have a fountain here. I think I'll get a cup of coffee. Would you like some? No, no, you go ahead. Okay. When you say I beg your pardon, then I'll come back to hey, you. Bun. Bun. Huh? Come here a minute. <laughs> 
who? Me? Yeah, yeah. Where you going? Over to the fountain. What are you going to get? Coffee. Uh-uh. <laughs> what? Get milk. But I want coffee. Coffee hasn't got a chance. <laughs> Why not? Wet grounds. <laughs> Well, I don't care. I'm going to get coffee. Now, don't be a sucker. Take milk. Why milk? Look at the breeding. The breeding? Yeah. Milk is on a cow by squeeze. <laughs> I don't care. I don't want milk. Oh. Look, bud, if you don't let it get around, I got something really good. What? Ovaltine. <laughs> Why Ovaltine? It's a sleeper. <laughs> well, maybe I'll... Hey, wait a minute. I know what I'm going to get. What? Come here a minute. <laughs> Me? Yeah. I'm going to get tea. Why tea? Because tea is in the bag. <laughs> Okay, it's your doll. So long. So long. What a guy. Why must I always run into... Okay, Jack, I'm ready if you are. Bye, Mary, let's go. Did you enjoy your coffee? I didn't have any. Why not? I didn't like the odds. <laughs> About. I don't know. Come on, Mary. Here's the theater. Gee, the lobby's crowded. Yeah, everybody in pictures seems to be here. Boy, these Academy Awards are really something. Look who's here. Danny Kaye, Betty Davis, Marlon Brando. And there's Irene Dunn, Joan Crawford, Arthur Kennedy, Gene <laughs> <Jean> Autry. <laughs> Gosh, everybody in Look, Jack. There's a radio commentator doing a broadcast right in the middle of the lobby. Let's go over and listen. And so tonight, everybody who is anybody in Hollywood is gathered here for the annual Academy Awards. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall do my best to bring you some of these celebrities. Oh, here come some famous actors walking by. I'll see if I can get them to say a few words. Hey, Mr. Jimmy Cagney, would you please say a few words over the air? I'm very happy to be here tonight, and I'm sure this is going to be another great occasion. Thank you, Mr. Cagney. Key, Mary, remember, remember Cagney and Yankee Doodle Dandy? Yeah. Yeah, and now coming up to the microphone is Mr. Lionel Barrymore. This is really a great night for Hollywood, and I know that the one who win the award will deserve. Thank you, Mr. Barrymore. <laughs> Gee, he's a great actor. And here we have Mr. Edward G. Robinson. Hey, Mr. Robinson, would you say a few words? Sure. I'm very happy to be here tonight. See? I'm here to see these actors get a fair shake, see? And don't forget it. Ah. <laughs> uh, thank you, Mr. Robinson. Hey, he's tough, isn't he? And now, Mr. Gary Cooper. 
Yep. <laughs> Gee, Mary, I had no idea that Gary Cooper was that tall. Neither did I. And he's so distinguished. Look how gray his hair is. Jack, that's snow. Oh, he really is tall, isn't he? <laughs> Ah, ladies and gentlemen, we are indeed fortunate. Coming up to the microphone is one of the candidates for the best acting honors, Mr. Humphrey Bogart, nominated for his splendid performance in African Queen. Hey, tell me, Mr. Bogart, do you think there's any chance of your not winning the award tonight? Ooh, I only ask. <laughs> well, how do you like that? Say, Mary, I wonder if he's going to interview me, too. Quiet, Jack. Jimmy Stewart is walking up to the microphone. Jimmy Stewart? Hey, Mr. Stewart, would you please say a few words to the radio audience? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. James Stewart. Oh, well, yes. I'm very happy to be here tonight. Uh, Mr. Stewart, before you go, I'd like to ask a few personal questions. Uh, didn't you recently have twin girls? Oh, well, well, yes, I did. Uh, that is, my wife did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're the cutest things, but, but so confusing. What do you mean, confusing? Uh, well, last week I bought them a little horse, and they take turns riding it. And it's kind of hard for me to tell which twin has the pony. <laughs> oh, what an awful joke. Well, you better think of a better one. The announcer's motioning to you. Oh, yes. Come on, Mary. Oh, Jack, wait for me. Take my hand, Mary. Well, Jack Benny! <laughs> yes, yes. How do you do, Miss Livingston? Hello. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Well, thank you. Uh, you've been coming to these Academy Awards for a long time, haven't you, Mr. Benny? Yes, I certainly have. Well, uh, tell me, Mr. Benny, what are your future picture plans? Well... He expects to see Quo Vadis tomorrow night. <laughs> Mary, please, this is an interview. Uh, Mr. Benny, the last picture you made was a western called The Horn Blows at Midnight, wasn't it? A western? Yes, I was at the preview and I remember hearing gunshots. That was the Warner Brothers. Fortunately, they missed each other. Mr. Benny, would you care to make any predictions as to who will win the Oscars here tonight? No, there are so many wonderful actors and actresses up for them, but in the musical awards... If the song I wrote... Thank you, Mr. Benny. What a song. When you say hey, that, Mr. I think, Benny, get away from the mic. Then I'll come back to you. Hey, Mr. Benny. When you ask me to forgive hey, you, Mr. I'll return. Hey, 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 Mr. Like Benny. the swallows at hey, Serrano. Mr. Benny, return get away from this microphone. Stop pushing. For you, yeah, my heart Mr. will Benny, always... Mr. Benny, get away from this return. microphone or I'll punch you right in the nose. Take your hands off hey, me. Now get away. Now, what are you doing? I told you to get away from here. I don't care what you call me. Jack, come on. Okay, okay. Oh, there he is, girls. There he is. Mr. Brando. Mr. Brando. May we have your autograph? I'm not Marlon Brando. The announcer just ripped my shirt. Come on, Mary. Let's go in. <laughs> Gee, Mary, it was certainly exciting, wasn't it? Yeah. George Stevens for directing Place in the Sun. And Vivian Lee for the best actress. Oh, Jack, there's Humphrey Bogart. Go over and congratulate him for winning the Oscar for his performance in African Queen. Oh, yes. Wait here, Mary. Say, Bogey, congratulations. And lucky for you, I didn't make a picture this year. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Jack, who slapped you? Lauren Bacall. <laughs> Good night, folks. Thank <laughs> you. 
That was the Jack Benny Show. Jack visits the Academy Awards from 1952. Hope you enjoyed that one. Spending a lot of time in the Old West this week. In the airport lounge he sat With his cane and derby hat The grandest man that I had ever seen Outside the heavy rains Had grounded all the planes So I asked him if he liked some company That's a really great older Dolly Parton tune entitled The Cowgirl and the Dandy and I thought maybe that we could stretch our imaginations a little bit and apply this to that dandy who was from England and visiting the Old West back in the 1870s, J.B. Kendall, the reporter for the London Times, who was the frontier gentleman. And that's going to be our show for this month of April in 2011. The Frontier Gentleman, starring John Daner, written, directed, and produced by Anthony Ellis. And in the episode we're going to hear tonight, Kendall becomes a gold miner. He and a couple of other fellows strike a claim in the Black Hills area of the Dakota Territory. And you know, the Black Hills are quite a geological anomaly. They sprang up right out of the plains of the central part of North America. They run from about the western part of South Dakota on into Wyoming. And for centuries, these hills were considered a sacred place by the Native American tribes that inhabited that area. Particularly, the Lakota Sioux and the Cherokee fought bitterly over these lands, both claiming rights to them. It was in the 1770s that a major battle ensued, and the Lakota ended up victorious. And they inhabited that area chiefly for about the next hundred years. In fact, in, I think it was 1868, the United States, in a treaty, stated that that land, the Black Hills, was the property of the Lakota Sioux. But then, in 1874, entered George Armstrong Custer. Custer led an expedition into the Black Hills that discovered gold in French Creek. All of the reporters that accompanied Custer, who loved to be in the news, reported the gold, and a gold rush was on. The 1875 through 1878 gold rush found thousands of miners flocking to the Black Hills. Three towns, three principal towns in the northern hills popped up. There was Deadwood, Central City, and Lead. And then there was countless other small towns and villages and mining camps, all occupied and inhabited by individuals that had moved into the area looking for gold. So that's the setting for our show tonight. So let's turn our clocks back to the 28th of September, back in 1958. Here's John Daner, as heard on CBS in The Frontier Gentleman, and the name of this one is The Gold Digger. In the Black Hills of Dakota Territory, I met a lovesick miner and got bitten by the gold bug. Frontier Gentlemen. Here with an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. 
As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual stories. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the New Territories. In just a moment, we will bring you this latest report from the Frontier Gentlemen. Seven nights a week on CBS Radio, most of these stations present The World Tonight. On The World Tonight, a CBS newsman broadcast direct from where the news is developing, along with well-detailed eyewitness reports on current events. The World Tonight brings you lively interviews with people in the news. When big things are happening in London, Moscow, Paris, Tokyo, or Rome, they're all within speaking distance on The World Tonight. Now, starring John Daner, this is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentleman. The town of Deadwood is built between a canyon wall and a river. As with so many other products of a gold rush, it has attracted the best and the worst of humanity. The enticements being many and varied from opium dens to gambling halls and saloons. Morning and night, the long main street fairly roars. And the sound carries many a mile into the black hills to be heard by some half-starved, grizzled prospector down on his luck. I had gone into the same hills in order to write my impressions of gold mining in this area. It was the evening of my second day when I wandered into the camp of two men. Their diggings were in a hillside a few yards from their fire. Evening, mister. Good evening. Any luck? Uh, no. Uh, had you grub? Not yet, I... Well, shake yourself. <laughs> Ain't no fancy fixings. Got us some dough meat and splatter dabs, if that'll do ye. Well, it's very kind of you, but I don't want to... Heck, ain't no trouble. Rest your saddle, mister. <laughs> Thank you. This here gut robber, he's Frank Twist. I'm Charlie Longball. J.B. Kendall. Huh, I'm smart to know you. Uh, may I contribute to the meal? Sure. Oh, uh, ain't got any sweetening, have you? Yes. Jam, sugar. Jam. Oh, jam. That'll go just fine on them splatter dabs. See, we run out of sugar three weeks back. Uh, the belly wash this old woman makes. I've been putting raisins in it to get some taste out of it. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, here. Oh, now that's mighty friendly, mister. Sure you can spare it. Oh, yes. Say, where have you been prospecting, J.B.? I'll tell you the truth, I haven't. I'm a writer, just moving around, looking for something to write about. That's so. You hear that, Frank? Yeah, ain't that something? You ain't looking for gold at all? If I found some, I wouldn't mind in the least. No, I'm not particularly searching for it. I admire that. I surely do. What about you fellows? Ain't running more than $10 a ton right now. We figured to give it a couple of more days and then move on. Of course, 10 ain't bad, but there's fellas cleaning up better than 50 a ton hereabouts. Don't, uh, don't pay to waste time on hungry ore. Mm. You both miners? Well, Frank is. Real old gristle-heel. Ain't that right, Frank? I allows it so. Me? <laughs> I was a cowpuncher driving cows up to Cheyenne from Fort Worth. Heard about the gold, come on over. Well, I see, that was uh, a couple years back. Met up with Frank, we got to be partners. Ain't that so, Frank? Yeah, and mister, you ain't never seen such a greener in all your born days. First time he went to pan, and I'd like to die. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and the young fool finds himself a piece of pyrite as big as your fist and thinks it's real gold. 
old old, he darn near drowned himself. You know, I pumped a gallon of water out of him. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> oh, he learned better than after that, I tell you. Oh, I did. Sure as your foot. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, how long since you was down to Deadwood, mister? Two days ago. Two days? Mm-hmm. Say, uh, you uh, ever go to the green front down there? The green front? Mm, I don't think so, no. (laughs) Frankie's got a girl at the green front. Him and a hundred other the boys. You hobble that lip of yarn, Charlie. When I say I got a girl, that's what I say. Mary's the sweetest little long-haired partner a man could ever hope to have. And don't you (laughs) forget it. You're getting my back up, Charlie Longball. (laughs) Ain't meaningful, Frank. Ain't nothing funny about me and Mary. I aim to get hitched up with her one of these days as soon as I make a strike. All right, Frank. Ain't nobody saying otherwise. Yeah? Well, ain't better be. Well, I'm going to fix some water in the creek. You watch that meat, Charlie, so she won't burn. Sure, Frank, sure. Yeah, I, I should ought to know better by now. I gather that Mary is rather a touchy subject. J.B., hmm. if you never seen a man with a love colic, you have now. At Frank, I swear when he gets into Deadwood, he's courting that gal like she was the finest lady in the whole territory. Buying her candies, all kind of fripperies, I swear. It ain't I got nothing against a gal. She ain't no worse than most. But I sure do hate to see a man old enough to be her father, which if you ask me, she never even knew. I sure do hate to see it. Uh, hate to see it? Yeah, him making cow eyes and playing the fool over that painted cat. She don't give no more than spit for him. It irons me good, I tell you. Oh, well, it's hard to tell a man in love that he's making a fool of himself. Now, that's a mouthful of truth, J.B. You know all she wants out of old Charlie. You know it's his money. If he ever gets any, she'll turn him high inside, too, before she's through with him. He won't have a tail feather left. How old is he? Frank? Oh, 60, maybe. He never said. That's the trouble. Old Wrinklehorn thinks he's still a yearling. Doesn't he know that she doesn't care about him? Sure, he don't see nothing. She gives him one of them big-eyed skid grease smiles, he's a goner. Well, I'm afraid there's not much you can do about it. If you take my advice, Charlie, you'll just... Charlie! What? Charlie! What? What's the matter? Charlie, here you, boy. Take a look. Take a look, take a look at this oil up them eyeballs of yourn and look. Holy suffering wish. You ever see anything like that? Huh? Where'd you find it, Frank? Where? Boy, it's pure. It's like I never seen in my whole days. Pure gold, Charlie boy. It's pure gold. Frank, you old. <laughs> Frank, you old hooter. Slow down for you. Bust your gut. Where'd you find it? I'll show you. Down this side of the creek. I'll show you. Come on. It's worth millions, Charlie boy. Gathering twilight, we stumbled, raced down the slope toward the creek. Then a few yards from the bottom of the hill, Frank Twist stopped, put a shaking hand on an outcropping of rock, and we saw a newly hacked scar. You ain't gonna believe neither one. You ain't gonna. Frank, Frank, we've struck it. Look at there. Mr. J.B. Kendall, you brung us luck. Big luck. (laughs) Do you know what happened, you know? Oh, I was mad at you, real mad, Charlie boy. I was passing by this here ledge... And I give the bucket a good swing to help get rid of my froth. The bucket got caught on a crack and pulled loose. A piece of rock come out. 
But there weren't no rock, Charlie. It was gold. That piece of gold. <laughs> well, it's fabulous. I'd never have believed it if I hadn't... Boys, <laughs> we got to celebrate, that's what. Let's get on back to oh, the camp. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Frank. I want to hack me off another piece. Well, go ahead. You too, Kendall. Go on. Uh, now, now, wait. One moment. There's one thing, though. Is this yours? I mean, is it part of your claim? Well, sure it is. Ain't it, Frank? Hey, well, well I, I reckon it is. You reckon? Well, we paced it off, Frank. Up the diggings, don't it come down this far? I don't rightly remember, Charlie, but... Uh, let's see now, 200 yards south, 300 north. That's on Packsaddle Jack's digging. 44 east, 44 west. Frank, we panned downstream. We never made no claim here. Well, we got to do it right now, right away, Charlie. Quick. Yeah, sure, Frank. Kendall, you give us a hand. We'll cut you in for a share. Oh, I'd be very happy as to. As soon as we get it staked out, me and Kendall go back to Deadwood and register. Now, you stay here to keep an eye out, Charlie. Like you say, Frank, but, but suppose somebody else has already staked it. We searched for some mark of ownership. A can of rocks, an old tin can. But in the darkness, we could find nothing. The three of us staked out the area and then started for Deadwood, leaving Charlie seated at the campfire, a look of grim determination on his face, a shotgun across his knee. It was well past midnight when we arrived in Deadwood to register the claim, but the office was closed and wouldn't open until six in the morning. Sure do hate to let that claim sit like that with only the young fella up there. There's no use worrying about it, Frank. You can't do anything until morning anyway. Well, you're right, J.B. You're darn right. Tell you what, let you be celebrate. Drinks are on me. Bella Union's just down the way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a long night, but worth it. Because in the morning, we're going to be millionaires. <laughs> Bella Union was probably the most disreputable, lowest den of iniquity in all of Deadwood. Its whiskey was foul, and the beer, sir, I've heard best described by cowpunchers when speaking of shallow pools of water in which cattle had been standing, green, stagnant. The whiskey being the lesser of the evils, I nursed mine along, which is more than I can say for Frank Twist. Give me another shot of that fine red disturbance, partner. He had consumed three quarters of a bottle and seemed none the worse for it. At about three o'clock, my companion turned a somewhat reddened eye on me, hiccoughed, put his arm on my shoulder, and said, <laughs> You miserable, miserable, you're drunk. I'm sorry. What you need? What you need is I have one. Thank you. What I need is a drink. Uh, in your hand, Frank. Mary. What? Mary. Let's go see sweet Mary down to the green front. Well, now, don't you think perhaps we'd better wait until the office opens? Remember? The claim? Oh, you got to meet Mary. She and me, me and she. We're going to do some rotten logging. <laughs> Sweetest little gal in Deadwood. Marry her in the morning. Come on. We made our way down the street to the green front. The saloon was a good deal quieter than the Bella Union, but for an entirely different reason. Several ladies of assorted ages and varying degrees of decay were present, and with them seated drinking at tables, their consorts. Frank Twist dragged me across the room. There she is! Mary! Mary! Oh, come on, Mary! Here, here, 
Yes, you can. Oi, you wicked man. for next week, pure girl. Uh, come on, Frank. You don't want hey, to... Hey, do... there. It's old man twist. Yeah. Are you talking to me, you raunchy old son of a gun? You heard? Mary, hold my drink. Sure, honey. Uh, now, now uh, forgive the intrusion, but my friend is rather drunk. He doesn't mean... What do you mean, I don't mean? Frank, Frank. Mister, you got a mighty powerful whoop in that fist. You got a feeling you busted Porky Culligan's nose. You sure got a pretty color of blood, ain't Frank. you? Frank. Gave his head a hit on the table when Porky hit him. He ain't gonna wake up for a while. You sit down and have a drink with me, stranger. No, 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 no. We don't want no trouble in here, mister. Oh, there ain't no trouble, Horace. You're gonna take care of the customers. Bring the gentleman here a fresh glass. Wants to buy me a drink, don't you, honey? Well, I hadn't thought of it. Hey, who got this? Now, if, if you don't mind, that belongs to my friend, Mr. Twist. Holy, is that what I think it is? Gold. Holy, where? In the hills. Sure, in the hills, but where? Let me see. Oh. Richest I seen since Darby Methwig's strike. Mr. You and him. You and him, partners? Yes. Oh. oh, Horace, get the gentleman some champagne. You don't want to drink none of that snake poison of yours. Sure, you bet. Sit down, Mr. Honey. Sit down. Let that dear old man lay. Me, we'll take care of him when he wakes up. Now, I want you to tell me all about yourself. Where'd you say you found the gold? Miss, uh, Mary, I never did learn her surname, draped herself around me like an anaconda. Every now and again, she patted my pocket to assure herself, I have no doubt, that the gold nugget was still there. There was nothing subtle about her. She came to the point with a minimum of preliminaries, and was, I think, quite surprised when I declined. You married or something? No. Well, don't you want a wife? Don't you want a flock of kids? Uh, at the moment, the furthest thing from my mind. You like me? I find you devastating. You don't like me. You shatter me. Mr. Twist likes me. He loves me, he told me. Yes, I know. He'd marry me. Well, I suppose he would. I always thought he was a funny old nose painter. Imagine him wanting to marry me. It is hard to imagine. Yeah, ain't it? May and December. Of course, the old goat's got a lot of life left in him. But I think you're much nicer. It's kind of you. You don't like me. I'll have some more champagne. Uh, thank you. How much you figure that strike of yours is worth? Well, according to Frank, millions. Would you like for me to sit in your lap? No, thank you. What's the matter? Don't you like women? On the contrary, I'm very fond of them. Oh, just me then, huh? I ain't your kind. Mary, why do you want to marry me? 
got a gold mine, ain't you? Yes. Well? Simple as that? You got a better reason? I'd take care of you, woman thing. You know, like your socks and all. Yeah, I guess maybe because I've been working in a place like this, I ain't the wife you'd be wanting. That it? If I were in love with you, Mary, it wouldn't matter where you worked. Yeah, I'd like to find a man like you. Settle down. I wouldn't even have to have a million dollars. Just, just enough, you know. No, I think so. Oh, your erstwhile friend is coming, too. Huh? The gentleman with the wounded nose. Porky, you better get out of here for... What's your name, sweetheart? Kendall. For my fiancé, Mr. Kendall, let some more air out of you. Oh, oh. Hey. How come you didn't tell me you had a fiancé? I don't have to tell a hill rat like you nothing. He ain't gonna talk like that if my claim turns out Rich? Rich? Culligan, you couldn't find enough pay dirt in your whole life to beat what Mr. Kendall's got right there in his pocket. Oh. <clears throat> Say, you, you hit it hard? I think so. Well, now, I ain't a man to hold no grudge, pard. Just you put her there. <laughs> As I reached out my hand, Porky Culligan hit me a beauty, and that was that. But a half an hour later, I woke up, my head pillowed in Mary's lap, an anxious Frank Twiss leaning over me, and behind him, the rodent-like features of Stoat, the green front proprietor. Kendra, you all right? Kendra. Oh. Oh, sweetheart, I thought you was dead. Oh. Mary. So did I. What call you got calling him sweetheart? I can call him anything I want. Colligan got your gold, mister. Took off out of here like he had a burr under his saddle. With the gold? Yeah. Stole a nugget right out of your pocket. I tried to stop him. Oh, no matter none, Kendall. There's plenty more where that comes from. Oh, well... Uh, Maybe uh, you better lie down for a while, honey, till no, you no. feel all right. You want to come to my room? No, he don't want to come to your room. I'll take care of him. Come on, JB. You better be getting along. We got business. Uh, what about the champagne? You ain't paid for that yet. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. A hundred dollars. What are you, a road agent? That's the price. Pay up. Oh. Uh, yeah. Ain't I gonna see you again, Kendall? It's doubtful, Mary. How about you, Frank? You coming back when you're done with your business? Well, I ain't so sure no more, Mary. Maybe you ain't exactly the kind of woman I'd want to be raising my kids. How come? I thought you was sweet on me. I was. But you're a fickle female woman. And I aim to do something better with my millions. Come on, let's go, Kendall. We left the forlorn miss of the green front and walked down the street to the land office. Frank Twist was remarkably sober. We had an hour to wait until six, and then the office opened. The agent took our claim and began to go through his files. You know, I'm mighty glad, mighty glad I found out about that woman before it was too late, J.B. Oh? Yes, sir. I got you to thank for that. Why, sure. Only thing she was interested in was my money. Yes, I rather gathered that impression myself. A yowling and a screeching. Mm -hmm. Figured for a while you was dead. Right there with you ain't yet cold. She's asking me to marry her, and then you wake up and she starts calling you sweetheart. Well, we're both to be congratulated, Frank. I'm still alive. You're still single. Yeah. Gee, sure is taking that fuller some time to check that claim. Yeah, boys. Oh, everything, everything fine, huh? 
Uh, sure, but not for you it ain't. No, not for us. Unless you made a real big mistake when you staked it out. That claim's already spoke for. It ain't. It, it, it can't be. I'm sorry. It sure enough is. Yeah, let's see. The name of Culligan. Porky Culligan. He's league loner. Yeah, what's the matter? You boys find some gold up there? I went back with Frank Twist to his camp. Then with Charlie Longbaugh, we walked down to the creek and looked at the outcropping of gold. Two days later, Culligan found it. And the day after that, he married Mary of the Green Front. Frontier Gentlemen was written, produced, and directed by Anthony Ellis and stars John Daner as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Joseph Kearns, Harry Bartell, Virginia Gregg, Jack Moyles, and Jack Crucian. Join us again next week for another report from the Frontier Gentleman, Bud Sewell speaking. From September 28, 1958, originally heard on the CBS radio network, that was John Daner as J.B. Kendall, the Frontier Gentleman. The name of that one was The Gold Digger, and I'm not sure if Kendall was the gold digger in that one and his friends, or if it was Virginia Gregg, <laughs> who played a very memorable character, as she was wont to do. Following the defeat of the Lakota and their Cheyenne and Arapaho allies in 1876, the United States took control of the region in violation of the Treaty of Fort Laramie. That was the one we mentioned earlier from 1868. The Lakota never accepted the validity of the U.S. appropriation, and they continue to try to reclaim their property. On July 23, 1980, in the United States versus the Sioux Nation of Indians, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that the Black Hills were illegally taken, and they ruled that the initial offering price plus interest, nearly $106 million, be paid. The Lakota refused the settlement as they wanted the Black Hills returned to them. The money to this day remains in an interest-bearing account, which now amounts to over $757 million. But the Lakota still refused to take the money. They believed that accepting the settlement would validate the U.S. theft of their most sacred land.
now we're going to ask you, for those of you that uh, would like to read along on the actual script, go into the oldtimeradioshow.com and you can download 52 Gunsmoke scripts. These are photostats of the original scripts that the actors or and or technicians, producers, directors had in their hands as the show was being, uh, being recorded. These uh, scripts actually have the uh, notations of the actors or whomever. Uh, some of the lines are crossed out for whatever reason, maybe timing, maybe it was hard to say, but it's, it's a lot of fun to look at. So if you want to take just a moment, go into the oldtimeradioshow.com, go down to uh, about halfway down, and you can see where you can join our mailing list. And all you have to do is give us your name and an email address, and there's no charge, no cost, and we're not going to solicit yet for money or send you ads. Uh, this is a labor of love for me, but you can go in and immediately download those scripts, and you'll follow along with this episode of Gunsmoke that's coming up right now. You'll find this is uh, this episode originally aired on May the 28th, 1955. It's uh, episode number 163, and this one features Howard McNear, and this is a very good episode of Gunsmoke. This one may get played a little more than others because it was included, as I recall, I, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this, in the Gunsmoke story. And so whenever that uh, show is repeated in its entirety, you probably hear this episode of Gunsmoke. Howard McNear is just wonderful in it. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Like I said, this one was originally aired in May of 1955, and the title of it is Cow Doctor. Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal, the first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Mr. Dillon, look who I got with me. Well, hello, Kitty. Come on in. I uh, ran into Chester on the street, Matt. He insisted I come along with him. Well, I'm glad he did. Uh, I mailed them letters and things to the depot, Mr. Dillon. No, good, good, Chester. I took that circular over to Mr. Hightower. He'll print some up in a couple of days. Oh, uh-huh. good. That's all you want me to do, ain't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's all. Ain't nothing else you need. I mean, not right now. No. No, nothing else. Mm-hmm. 
everything's pretty well took care of, ain't it? Yeah, everything's fine. Fine, Chester, yeah. Mm-hmm. Except uh, for that buzzing in your head. My head? <laughs> Come on, what is it, Chester? Just speak it right out. Uh, well, thing is, I run into this friend of mine a few minutes ago. I ain't seen him in years. I, I knowed him a long time ago, way back in the Army. Oh. <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, go on. Uh, well, see, he's stationed out at Fort Dodge. Right here. Only five miles away. My. <laughs> Just imagine that. Chester, I, I got an idea. Yes, sir? Look, why don't you ride out and see your friend, huh? Now, you can stay a couple of days if you want. There's nothing for you to do around here. Well, you think that'd be a good idea? <laughs> well, it, it's my idea, isn't it? it? Yes, sir, it sure is. Well, I better get going then. No use wasting time, is it? Bye, Chester. Bye, Miss Kitty. I'll be back in a day or two, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, well, you have a good time, Chester. And uh, leave the door open. It's awful hot in here. Yes, sir, I will. Goodbye. (laughs) So that's why he wanted you here. Oh, I guess he thought it might help. But he forgot to mention something. No, what's that? Uh, This dear old friend of his has got a pretty interesting job in the Army. Is that so? Yeah. He's a mess sergeant. A mess sergeant? Well, after a couple of days of that, I'll have to go after Chester with a wagon. You may never see him again. Yeah. Marshal Dillon? Ah, come on in, son. I'm looking for Doc. Well, his office is right next door. I've been there. I've been everywhere. Oh, you need him bad? I was sent to fetch him. Somebody's sick? My pa told me to bring him out to our place. Well, is it your pa who's sick? He wants the Doc bad, Marshal. Well, who is your pa, son? Ben Pitcher. Are you Ben Pitcher's boy? My name's Jerry. Oh. oh, Jerry, your pa must be pretty sick if he's sent for Doc. I know. He hates doctors. Don't believe in them. But he wants Doc to come, Marshal. He told me I had to find him. I've looked everywhere. Well, there's a back room at the Dodge house, Jerry. Doc sometimes plays a little poker in there. Well, thank you, lady. I'll go look. Uh, if you don't find him there, come back and I'll help you, Jerry. Thanks, Marshal. Oh, and uh, Jerry. Yes, sir? If you do find him, be sure and tell him that I want to see him before he leaves, huh? I'll tell him, Marshal. Ah, that's a surprise. Yeah. I've heard about Ben Pritcher. How he hates doctors. His wife's just as bad. I remember he got caught up in a knife fight here in town sometime back and then threatened to kill Doc if he got anywhere near him. He almost bled to death as a result. You know, there's something wrong about this, Kitty. I think I'll ride out there with Doc. Good. I'd sure hate to see anything happen to Doc. Yeah, so would everybody. Except Pitcher. you like riding in a buggy, Matt? Make you feel important? Yeah, it sure does, Doc. But the way you drive, I'd feel a lot safer on a horse. <laughs> You'll get used to it. Well, I hope not. <laughs> Whoa there. Whoa. 
don't see anybody around. Well, you expect a sick man to be waiting on the porch for you? Well, I'd expect most anything of Ben Pitcher. Well, a man can change, Doc. Oh, change. Not him. Not Pitcher. I will soon find out. What are you doing here, Marshal? I came along to keep Doc company, Miss Fisher. Oh. Ma'am? Where's the boy? Uh, Jerry said to tell you he'd be along directly. Why didn't he come with you? Well, he said that you gave him a list of stuff to buy while he was in town. Oh, forgot. Uh, we're wasting time. Where's Ben, Mrs. Fisher? He's out back. He's out... Out back? In the barn. What's he doing in the barn? You ask him, Doc. I don't interfere in my husband's way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Is he sick or isn't he? He's in the barn. You go see him. I got work to do. <sighs> that woman could fair drive me crazy, man. <laughs> so maybe that's what happened to Pitcher, Doc. Mm -hmm. Between the two of them, it's a wonder the boys made out at all. Yeah, Jerry seems okay. If they have their way, they'll make a spook out of him, yeah. You know, you're not very charitable, Doc. Oh, charitable. You don't fool me, Mad Dillon. You don't like them any better than I do. I always try to look for the good side in people, Doc. Oh, sure, hogwash. <laughs> well, pretty good barn he's got here. Yeah. Look, uh, I'll go in first, huh? What's that? Oh, you, you follow me. Pitcher. Hey, Pitcher. I'm back here. Come on, Doc. Over here in this stall. I thought it was Doc. He's here, Pitcher. What are you doing in there with that cow? I thought you were sick. It ain't me that's sick. Well, who is sick? My cow. What? The cow's got the colic or something. I've done everything I can for her. You mean you had me come all this way, way out here, to doctor a cow? I wouldn't let you doctor no human. I thought there was something wrong about all this. Cow's, cow's different. I don't mind so much you working on a cow. Oh, you don't. No, no, cows are different. Humans can get well by themselves, but cows is helpless. They're kind of pitiful. <laughs> Uh, listen to her. She's hurting bad, dog. I ought to kick you right in the head, Ben Pitcher. Don't take it out on me that you doctors don't know nothing. If you're so smart, do something for my cow. Before she dies, dog. Oh, all right. I'll look at her. But you sure don't deserve it, Ben. You ain't doing it for me. You bet I'm not. Now get out of the way and let me in there. Ah, uh, take your time, dog. I'm in no hurry. What's he doing in there all this time, Marshal? Leave him be, Ben. He'll let us know if he wants any help. How's my cow, Doc? Oh, 
I guess he's through. Here's your knife, Ben. Did you stick her with it? I did, and she's going to feel a lot better. You can give her all the water she wants, but don't let her eat anything for a day or two. She going to live? I don't know, Ben. If she dies, I ain't going to pay you. I wouldn't take any money from you, anyway. What's wrong with my money? It's not your money. It's you. What do you mean? Hey, Paul, I'm back. I got all the stuff, Ma, wanted. You'd better, Ruth. Oh, Doc, Marshal. Jerry. Say, Doc, you missed all the excitement. Yeah, uh, that's it? Yeah, it happened just after you left. Everybody was running around looking for you. What happened, Jerry? Oh, Mrs. Hill, she was walking down the street, and I guess the sun was too much for her or something. Anyway, she fainted, and she fell against the window right there at the general store, and it cut her arm real bad. Nobody could get it stopped bleeding. Yeah, they couldn't. That's why they were looking for you, Doc. I told them you'd come out here, but they wouldn't believe well, me. what happened to Mrs. Hill, Jerry? She died, Doc. Huh? Just before I left. She died? Did you hear that picture? A woman died. If I'd been there, I could have saved her, but... But she died. Don't talk at me. She died because of you and your rotten, twisted ways. Ah, uh, none of you doctors is any good. You couldn't have done nothing. Oh, no good. Well, I'll show you. No, wait a minute, Doc. Here now. I'll show you. Nobody hits me. But Pa's got a knife. No, pitch up, pitch up. Oh, he oh. cut him. It's her. Here, Doc. I got you. He ripped me with a knife, Matt. Yeah. You hurt bad? Well, it's bleeding. I can see that. You help me in the house. Now, we... we... You can look at it there. Yeah, sure, Doc. What about Paul? You let me know when he comes to. I'll come back and knock him out again. Well, it's pretty clean now, Doc. Oh. That looks better. Yeah, but it's still bleeding now. I don't care for that mess you're making on that bed, Marshal. Go get me another pan of hot water. You ordering me around my own house? You do it! Uh, Matt. All right. Yeah, Doc? I'm not sure, but I... I don't think that knife ruptured anything. No, that's good. But a couple of those veins have to be tied off, and then it's got to be sewed up, you see. Oh? Uh, there are needles and thread in my bag. Now, I'd do it myself, but I, I can't reach it easy enough. What? You mean you want me to do it? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you how, Matt. You... Well, you think I can? <laughs> oh, it's easy. Especially for a gunfighter. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I can bleed to death this way. I won't have any trouble, Doc. Here, you hold the cloth on it, huh? I got it. I'll go get your bag. Marshal. Get out of here, pitcher. You hit me awful hard. Did I? He jumped me first. You saw him. I was protecting myself. Pitcher, if Doc doesn't come out of this all right, I'm going to quit being a marshal, and I'm going to come after you as a plain man looking for revenge. You're threatening me. It's wrong of me, but I'm going to kill you, Pitcher. 
Oh, no. Get out of here. And stay out of this house. Go on. I'm, I'm going. I'm going. It wasn't easy. And I felt like I had fence posts for fingers. But I finally got Doc sewed up. He'd lost an awful lot of blood and he passed out before I finished. So all I could do was sit there and watch him. And maybe that was the hardest part. In the morning, however, he seemed better. And he insisted that I take him into Dodge. So I made him a bed in Pitcher's wagon and had Jerry drive the buggy alongside. He was in bad shape by the time we reached town, but I got him into his own bed and then sent for Kitty to help me out. I don't know what I'd have done without her for that next week. Ma? Yeah, Kitty, I'm coming. You know what he wants now? Oh, what? He's tired of drinking plain water. He says if we don't start cutting it with some good corn, he won't drink anymore. Well, then let him go thirsty. He won't hold out long. <laughs> no public servant's going to tell me what's good for him. Oh. You send that lawman down for some whiskey. <sighs> Doc, now we've gone to a lot of trouble to keep you alive. We sure have. Oh, don't you worry about me. I'd get out of bed right now. and uh, I like being waited on Who's that? No, that's a dumb question. Who's that? How do I know? Go look. Doc, I never thought anything could make you any ornerier than you've always been, but getting stabbed, did it? Oh, never mind the gab. Just answer the door. Well, come on in. Oh, what manners. Come on in, I said. Oh, good heavens, man. Well, go ahead, Doc. Fire me. Doc? Doc? Um, in here. Oh, well, it's Jerry. Yeah, come on in, son. Oh, Doc, Marshal. Now, what are you doing in town, Jerry? I come for Doc. What? Paul's sick. He's about to die so sick. Oh, now look, It's Jerry. the truth, Marshal. Paul made me lie last time, but he don't even know I'm here now. He doesn't know you're here. Huh? He's too sick, Doc. It's like he's out of his head. He don't know nothing. What about your ma? Does she know you're here? I didn't tell her. She'd have stopped me. Doc? Jerry, your pa tried to kill Doc the last time, and he's still in bed. Now, he can't go anyplace. Please, Doc. Why should he risk his life for your paw? Wait a minute, Matt. Now, just wait a minute here. Uh, I'll come to you. Now, don't be silly. I'm Doc. a doctor, Matt. A man's dying. Doesn't matter what man. I knew you'd come. I knew you you're would. You're crazy, Doc. You'll open that cut riding out there. Besides, you're not strong enough. You'd be taking an awful chance, Jerry, huh? what? How'd you come to town? I figured you'd need it, so I brought the wagon. I thought so. Where are you going to help me out, man? All right. I'll help you out, Doc. should let me carry you, Doc. No, no. I'll make it. He's awful weak, ain't he? Yeah, he is. Here, I'll get the door. Come on in. Ma's probably in the bedroom. 
It's over this way. We know where it is, Jerry. Oh, I forgot. That you, Jerry? It's me, Ma. Where have you been? Doc, what are you doing here? Jerry came after me, Mrs. Pitcher. We don't want no doctors. Your husband's sick? He's terrible sick. But you can't do him no good. Yeah, I can try. Jerry, I'm going to whoop you. No, Miss Pitcher. No, you're not. Don't you tell me what I'm going to do, Marshall. Look at Doc, Miss Pitcher. He can tell he shouldn't be here at all, but he came. He came to help a man who tried to kill him. And nobody's going to stop him. Now, come on, Doc. Get out of the way, Miss Pitcher. Get you a chair, Doc. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you very much. Now, oh, here you are. Yeah, he... He looks pretty sick. Marshal! Don't want me, Jerry! Now what? She's got a gun, Marshal! I told me, I said. I got her, Jerry. I'll kill you. You and Doc both. Give me that. No! There. Now, you sit down. Go on. Jerry, you go see if Doc needs any help, huh? Okay, Marshal. You know, Miss Pitcher, you don't deserve Doc being here. You don't deserve it at all. Marshal? Yeah, what? I've been thinking. All night I've been sitting here thinking. Oh? I don't want my husband to die. I can't have him die. Doc's doing everything he can for him, Miss Pitcher. Can he save him? You think he can save him? I don't know. Mrs. Pitcher? How is he, Doc? Well, he's past the worst. I think he'll be all right. Can I see him? Can he talk? Yes, but not for long. He needs a lot of rest now. Well, speaking of rest, Doc, you, you look like you could use some, too. Yeah, we're going back to Dodge, man. <laughs> Oh, I'll sleep the whole way. Good. Doc, he wants to talk to you. What is it, Pitcher? Ma. Ma says you was here all night. I was, yes. She says you saved my life. Well, maybe I helped her. Maybe... But what I want to say is that I ain't going to pay you. I didn't ask you to, Pitcher. Pitcher, Doc saved your life. Maybe he did. But I ain't going to pay him. It doesn't matter, but why not? Because my cow died. No, for... Pitcher, I'm going to... Matt, Matt, Don't bother. Come on, let's go, let's go. Okay, Doc. Doc? Yes? 
he means what he says, Doc. I can't change him. It's all right, ma'am. I can't change him, but there's something I gotta say. Yes? I'm proud to have you in my house, Doc. I'm real proud. I can't say no more. Well, Doc, <laughs> I've been paid, Matt. I think I've been paid pretty good. Produced and directed by Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Vivi Janice, and Sam Edwards. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Listen to Gunsmoke again next week, transcribed for L&M Filters. good episode of Gunsmoke. The Cow Doctor from 1955. Uh, Howard McNear, they'd say, was just one of the sweetest guys in Hollywood. Everyone that worked with him just fell in love with him. And of course, I guess most people know him best as Floyd the uh, Barber on the old Andy uh, Griffith show. Ironically, that was the one role I wasn't real crazy about him in. I don't know. He seemed too affected but, boy, I sure loved him in Gunsmoke and, and so many other roles that he played. Because Milburn Stone was wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I have no complaints about Milburn Stone. In fact, he he might have been the most authentic character on the television show. But why they didn't put Howard McNear in there, I do not know. Well, Chester advises me it is time to gather up all of our shows and to carry them back into the vault.
folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. As always, though, we'll be back in two weeks and we're going to do it all over again. We are going to go out tonight with a little bit of Larry Finnegan. You remember Larry Finnegan? Let's see if you remember this. All right, everybody, take care. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by and I am so glad you met. Your love, Jane. Then she said, Dear one.